0: This podcast is brought to you with support from The Big Idea, New Zealand's online hub for creative people. The Big Idea aims to support talented, innovative individuals and organisations and advocates for creativity as an essential ingredient in the cultural and economic wealth of New Zealand. Their website is thebigidea.nz. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, welcome to Don't Give Up Your Day Job, the podcast, the only podcast you will ever need. I'm going to get right into it with the sponsor. Our sponsors today are Stonefield Basses, our good friends at Stonefield Basses. Stonefield Music is a New Zealand-based musical instrument maker producing unique handcrafted basses that use responsibly sourced beautiful timbers, innovative electronics and a state-of-the-art tailpiece tuning system. Their innovative tuning system combined with their neutral, balanced design makes Stonefield basses more comfortable and ergonomic to play and more reliable both on the road and in the studio. Their top-of-the-line timbers and electronics deliver a classic tone with modern qualities. No matter what style of music you play, Stonefield allows you to craft your own sound with the latest in electric bass. I'm in touch with Tom Stanley from Stonefield Basses quite a bit. He's uh, doing amazing things. They're going all around the world. They're looking at getting stuff manufactured in India, and they're doing all sorts of things. So check him out at dubdubdub.stonefieldmusic.com, and also follow them on Instagram and Facebook. They are regularly posting photos of their work, and it's beautiful to watch. And I think you'll find it very interesting. So there's a lot of peace and quiet in the studio today. There is, uh, you know, a karma, a karma feeling in the studio today because. We are without our other half. Our other half, our co-host Bobby Kennedy, is currently lying on the beach in Rarotonga drinking chocolate martinis and probably doing weird shit behind closed doors that we don't want to know about. So instead, I have to do this by myself, which is super weird and super awkward to sit here and talk to yourself into a microphone. Uh, To avoid that, I'm going to cut to an old clip that we haven't released before and avoid avoid the whole problem of trying to be like a normal podcaster will sit here and just happily talk to themselves and have an invigorating conversation. I don't have that ability because already I'm running out of things to say. So just over a year ago, I think it was when we were recording the Christmas special at the end of last year, we had Gavin Downey uh, come into the studio to talk about a few things. On the end of that conversation, Gavin and I started talking about a few things to do with mics and amps and, and various things like that. And we saved it for a rainy day. Well, today, folks, it's beautifully sunny outside, but we're going to let you listen to it anyway. So here we go with Gavin Downey.
1: Like, if you've got heavy marshals, which are already mid-rangey, yep. chuck it on that. If you've got a, if you've got a Fender-style lamp, yep. which is... Bottoms and highs, and no mid range. You've got a mic that's mid rangey that doesn't really, there's no frequencies in there for it to pick up, you know? Whereas you chuck it on a Marshall, you've got mid range picking up mid range. Right. So it's bam, so it's it makes there. Sense. It's picking, picking up that. Thing. Gotcha. You well, really they, they, should. So they,
0: these are my two amps. So so yeah. so that so what you're saying relates to that, right? Yeah, I yeah. think so. I mean, yeah.
1: you you, it, in a, you should match your mics to what your amps are doing you know but people don't a lot people just go 57 is indestructible and it'll work and you can chuck it in there but yeah i think if you if you if you know exactly what your amp to do and you're going between a you know say a clean sound and a driven sound or something and you want those dynamics i think some different mics that give you really nice tight bottom end
0: it's just so hard to find the right information because there's so many opinions that fly around you know i
1: mean end of the day you want something that fits in your budget Something that's not going to break down... Yeah. Every, ...every month... Yeah. ...and something that gives you the sound you want. Right. Now, that's a three pair of three-sided pair three pyramid, <laughs> yeah. so you sometimes have to pick which side weighs heavier. Right. And it's probably going to be budget... Yeah. ...and then it's probably going to be, you know, like, are you going to take it out and is it going to work every day? Exactly. But, you yeah. know, what I mean, it's, it's always things... Like, I remember sitting down with... So Shane Goodwin from Muses Tech and he was like oh we've just started using M88s on all our guitar amps and it's just oh, totally amazing right? Totally." Weird. I was like wow I haven't really thought of that but then spoke to someone else who was like no nah. then spoke to someone else who was like oh that's yeah amazing right? a 57 and the M88 bottom end and the mid range top end
2: ah.
1: and then yeah you speak to someone else and they're just like oh I wouldn't put a 57 anywhere near a guitar amp. it's like
0: <laughs> yeah yeah because so... I know like I remember um, talking to Neil Baldock um, when I was in the States and he was saying um it I, might have been—I don't know. In fact, I was going to say he might have been joking a bit, but then again, he seemed pretty serious, and he was saying he reckons he could make a whole album just with one fifty-seven.
1: Oh, you, you totally could. Oh, but, of course he could. But yeah, would yeah. it be a great album? Well, he or would it to, be album yeah, yeah. like yeah. a good one well, fifty-seven?
0: He, he was rating it. I, yeah. I was like, mm, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Plus,
1: I think—I mean, it's the same reason you pick certain engineers whose ears are tuned into frequencies and sounds. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah, if you do a lot of those, like if you do those like old school soul gigs and stuff, like those dudes will just spec stuff that is very. Particular to that setup, you know, sh fifty fives on their kick drums, which yeah. no one would ever think about, you know, mm. one mic on the whole drum kit, yeah, and something really bizarre on a like a really old ribbon mic on a on a uh, guitar amp that mm. No, you're not going to play over ten watts because it right. will destroy. But that is the sound they get, and they can emulate a '60s album today in 2016, and yeah. you go wow, that does sound amazing. Yeah. But if you take that same mic kit and put it on the band tomorrow, it's just going to not work. So. Right, yeah. And it's, that engineer had worked with those mics, so I think that,
0: you know, totally yeah. changes. But it's just a constant journey, eh? It's a constant journey. Like, and I, it's I a, feel like I've been figuring my tone out for 20 oh, years. Oh, exactly. And that's know?
1: the thing, because your tone doesn't finish. I mean, if you're just a bedroom player, your tone finishes at your amp. But if yeah. you're going to play pubs, clubs, stadiums, arenas, yeah. your tone finishes at the seat at the back of the room. Right. So there's a whole world of tonal shaping that yeah. you do not have anything to do with yeah and the only bit you can kind of get to do with is your microphone choice That's whether right. you tour with your own mics or you spec on your rider this is my amp i want
0: a 57 and a 609 or yeah a 57 and an 88 or whatever at, at so, this point though i've never really had that one down because i've never you know i, mean, I've, I don't still haven't quite yeah. solidified what i'm looking for uh, i try to find people who know who know their shit you know, and th- say what do you think I should do? <laughs> I, I th- you know yeah. honestly I know? think
1: you should get borrow, big, borrow, steal, a bunch of mics, yep. put your amp in your in your living room, yep, put a cable on it, plug it into your into your into your headphones, into your home recording setup and just go A, B, C. Just right. run everything flat and listen. That's see a good what idea. each one does. And get and familiar also, with them too. Familiar with it and have yeah. a look if you've got like an RTA, a real time analyzer. When you can basically, the easiest way to do this, I tell people, is basically if you've got a loop pedal, you can play one loop, and you can record it, so that way you're not changing your dynamics of how you play each time, because that changes. Ah. Then you can just run the same loop, and you can loop one guitar chord in a riff, and it'll be constant, so your amp will be the same. Then you can ABC mics, and if you look at a real-time analyzer, you can actually see how each microphone picks up each frequency that is resonating from the cab. That's a cool idea. So then you can go, okay, a 57 has a natural mid-hump to the mic, so I can see that does it. A six oh nine might have a bit more bass, less of that mid spike. Mm. Other mics, are, you know, it could be a fifty eight, it could be another AKG, it could be uh, some kind of Sennheiser Who knows? Yeah, you know? yeah. And you can actually see, and then you can go well. That's what I like, and that's what I think I'm. You know, I want to pick up. That's a great idea. I, I think go I'm going to try there. that. <laughs> and it's yeah. a hell of a fun weekend. If yeah, yeah. If Everyone's gone away. You just want to nerd out. That's it. Just like
0: oh. Because that also touches on another thing that guitarists often come up against when they've played live for years, and then they start working in a studio. Some of them have never really known what their amp sounded like. No, you know, because it's at their exactly. feet, pointing at their angles. Exactly. If it's you sitting know. at
1: your amp, or you're dealing with hearing everything else in a mix, mm. or you know, you've never really had perfect monitors. Right. And, you know, or you're one of these players where you have it totally dialed in sweet at home and then you go to the gig and you're just kind of hoping that it's going good. You're yeah. just kind of rolling with it. Yeah. But, and,
0: and, you know. and then also when you hear a tone on its own, you think that sounds brilliant, love it but you're not thinking what it's going to sit like in the no, mix. No, exactly. You know? And sometimes what sits in the mix is actually quite weird sounding on a tone well, Totally. Own, Plus, you know. the
1: other thing as well is, I mean, as, a, as an instrument, you don't just want to sit in the mix. No. If you just sit in the mix, you can get lost in the mix. Sure. You, at times, you need to bounce out of the mix, mm. and your guitar, signal, or bass, or whichever instrument needs to jump out so when your solos play, people can hear you. Right. Sometimes, you know, you can... You know, you notice now a lot with especially I find a lot with these heavy metal bands who are, you know, very detuning that you've suddenly got all of these people playing in the bass frequency with drop A's, you know, drop G sharps, the seven string, eight string guitars, subsonic basses, you yeah. might have since kick drums, not much kind of mids and then lots of highs, and right. suddenly everything gets a bit lost dynamically. So yeah. yeah. I think it's really important as a guitarist that how you sound in your bedroom or your practice room may not work for when you're live. That's right. And that can be down to, again, your mic choice, everything. And when you do a live show, you shouldn't be fixing things constantly. No. You should be basically almost putting mics in and just basically capturing what you're doing. The sound guy shouldn't have to fix a bad amp or a bad thing. And if he's got a bad mic or, you know, Mm. he's using a mic that's not appropriate for the kind of sound you want, you Know that can be a, a massive struggle, That's right, yeah.
0: So. Yeah, I mean, that I mean, figuring out how to stand out during solos, like <laughs> totally. even, even just a level boost, has always been a challenge over the years, and I've solved it different ways by literally using boost pedals and things. Yeah, um, one thing I've started to do more often these days is for some reason, when I was a kid, I always just turned the volume on the guitar all the way up and left it there. And in the last five years or so, I've been really starting to explore the uh, different the, positions yeah, on the volume. Yeah. There's some great tones by totally. just rolling it off. Well, I you mean, know? you realize like
1: how. How, depending on the if you have a if a, a non master volume amp or a master volume amp, let's mm. say something like a, a Vox AC30, which is a non master, which means you've got one volume overall. You yeah. know how you turn it up; the more you turn up, the volume is the same as the gain. It drives more; it gets grittier; it breaks up. Yeah. You know, a master volume amp is you might have a preamp. You'll have a preamp volume which you can kind of get that gain, and then you can overall the master. Mm. You know the volume. Yeah. But with especially like a lot of these good non master volume amps you can basically get your amp cranking and get a really good drive and then just dial your, your guitar dial bag, back right. and suddenly you've cleaned up your whole amp. Yeah. I mean, we still, Dobbin's been doing that for years and that's, his whole tone shaping is with that. Oh, he, man. He's got tiny little amps that are yeah. driven pretty hard, like three quarters full. Fender Pro Juniors, you know, the tiny little mm-hmm. volume yep. tone. Yep. And then all of his signal is basically just run off his volume and then he just has a hot cake which half the time is generally sometimes left on, and it doesn't like he's he. I know he's left it on in some songs and not <laughs> forgotten and just kind of doll back his guitar to get that cleanness, right? But he can just dial up and down on his volume, yeah, which you can't see because we're on a podcast, but yeah, turning the volume <laughs> on and up with your finger to suddenly saturate and boost,
0: yeah, you know? yeah. I, I we did a gig alongside him earlier this year, as you know, and um, <laughs> and I, w- I was standing there just amazed by his tone. You know, and I'm pretty fussy as well. Yeah. So it's, it's not that often that I stand there with my jaw but on the ground. It's so simple. You know, but and he had, so, two, he had two amps. Yeah, hey, he, runs he runs two runs amps in stereo, stereo yeah. which
1: came about, I think he suddenly at some at some point got a stereo pedal and was like, oh, I have two now. And we <laughs> ran two. And then we got a, we replaced one of the, the modern Hot Pro, Pro Genius with a, the Woody reissue, which has got a different Jensen speaker in it. Yeah. And then since then he's had both of them fully rewired, hand point to point wired inside. Yeah. And because of their size, and because they're only like 10, 12 watts around there, you can put them on three quarters, and they're not blowing your head off. Mm. They're not that kind of pointy that the front row and the audience is getting killed, but you can get such a great saturated yeah. tone. And with having two of them, it fills the stage out. Right, Mike's two of them get a nice stereo effect, and he does run a slapback echo now, which I think has got a nice stereo sort of wideness to it. So yeah. mm-hmm. and it totally, like, it's amazing. When we redid that Fender strap for him, Basically, I mean, I did myself out of a job by fixing up that guitar, which was kind of bad business planning. <laughs> he used to have he used to have a strat and his telly, and he would switch between that and then a Les Paul for some songs, and and he would go to acoustic and he would change guitars. And some songs, it would be thirteen guitar changes in a set, oh, and I right. would be run off my feet. And then we found the old the old blonde strat, which was from his dude's days, his famous blonde strat, which had been sitting in his in his cupboard in He's his going, studio yeah. with no strings and had been. Abused and confused over the years with Carla Floyd and Floyd Rose tremolos and all kinds of EMGs and yeah, we decided that after about a year, I finally got it out of him to say we should just restore it. So I took it away and fixed it, and we got, found the orig- We had the original pickups and we got it back to his original spec with a couple of things. You know, we we put in some new pots and things. We just we couldn't get we couldn't find the originals. But since then, he never plays any other guitar, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it. and he's like, I don't kind of need you anymore. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, well. Oh. But And he gets that one guitar set up and he can pull out so many tones mm. out of that one guitar for rhythms, leads, every song throughout of his career where he's played so many
0: different guitars. Yeah. But
1: he can now just pull out of that one little tiny rig.
0: Yeah, a couple of years ago I bought my um, Fender Princeton there and I got the same kind of principle out of that um, because for 20, well, 15 years or so before that, I had played um, my DeVille exclusively, which is so fucking loud. Yeah. Like I've only ever been able to properly get the tone out of it in studios. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. always too loud for stage. Yeah. And and you, you're lugging this heavy thing around and you just can't even use it properly. And I just, after a while, I'm like, what, the, what am I doing? So I bought this little thing and turned it up to like four and a half on the dial and it starts to break up a bit. Yeah. And it's still, you could almost still talk over it, you know? Yeah. So now um, sound engineers love it because <laughs> I'm never too loud on stage anymore. And it's just like, always got this killer tone plus i I, yeah. well,
1: I can actually let you in on some scientific fact this is actually fact if you look at the waveform on an oscilloscope of a power amp tube distorting yeah versus a preamp tube now let's say example a power amp tube and say something like your fender princeton versus yep. say a jcm 900 you know which mm-hmm. has got your gain medley sort of noise yep the waveform of a preamp distorted tube is very spiky Ah. it's very sharp it's very it's it, it looks painful if you were to put your thumb on it yeah whereas the power amp tube distortion is a lot softer curve on it right so naturally power amp tube distortion is actually easier on your ears to listen to right has less of that fizz factor and it sounds more organic so when people talk about organic sounding amps yeah it's from the power amp section tubes your six L sixes, your e 34s yeah so if you have one of those kind of those preamp style amps you know with your you know you kind of what we class as a lot of those kind of metal amps with your really high gain front ends. Mm. They're really hard to get nice big warm drive out of them, even though they have overdrive on tap. Mm. Because they're saturating all these little preamp tubes, cascading one to the other. Yeah, it's always quite intense, and
0: you know to the point it can be fizzy. So that explains why why different people gravitate to different <clears throat> totally amps. different amps, yeah. and why
1: you know one amp will sound different in overdriven amp. On a Fender is different from an overdriven amp on yeah. a Marshall. But if you look back at the old Marshalls, like the Plexis, which were non-master volume, you just turn them all the way up. They had that really nice big warm sound. So if you uh, listen to
0: how long, how how old, how long how ago? the old
1: sort of sixties Plexis, right, so you know he- the like Hendrix, if you're, for Example: example. Hendrix, yep. ACDC. You know yep. that big ACDC, that big heavy rock sound is yep. all that was all tube power tube. You know distortion. It's all that. Overdrive when the power tubes are cranking. So. Would Steve
0: Ray Vaughan have played an old one?
1: Yeah, he had old ones. Any, you know, yep. he was he loved Fender Twins cranked up to yeah. ten, and because again, the Fender Twin doesn't have a preamp like right. you know, like a normal amp, but it's not that fizzy kind of power. But yeah, because
0: I always I've always seen images of Steve Ray Vaughan playing with Marshalls, and I've always, it's never made any sense to me because yeah. it, it never sounds like he's playing a Marshall.
1: A lot of those players, though, that you can give them any guitar amp and they'll play. Oh, yeah, that's right. I've given Billy Gibbons a Jensen twenty-five watt solid state amp, and he yep. played Lagrange, and it sounded like his Marshall Plexi. <laughs> and I played at the same time, and I sounded like me on a dancing amps so you know it's you can say it's a lot in people's fingers yeah yeah the tones in the fingers but yeah Yeah. i mean yeah it's you it's surprising when you when you kind of delve into people's gear usage through their careers or their recording Mm. the amps they used in the studio to what you perceive they use or when you see them live that's why the most recorded amp in history is the fender champ which is a tiny little Um, yeah eight eight inch speaker a volume and a tone but you put a good mic in front of that and crank it up you get power amp Distortion, overdrive, yep. saturation. And you know, you put a bit of reverb on it, it sounds like a bigger amp and a bigger room, and it, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. But if you try and take in 16 Marshalls and try and dime them all and make them sound huge,
0: you're not going be to better last. Your engineer <laughs> no. will give you the <laughs> boot pretty fast. There we have it. We've had that conversation in the archive for a while. I knew at some point it'd be interesting to release. It's one of the great things about working with good people is that constant conversation that's going on and that constant exploration of how to improve your game and the various subjects, it can be technical, it can be psychological. I'm always talking to people and saying, like, how do you approach this and how do you think about that? And when Gavin was talking about some of that background on Fender versus Marshall and so on, I mean, I didn't know some of that. So it's it's just one of those ways of constantly upskilling and sharing information in our community. I really enjoy that. So in other news, uh, Bobby and I both perform in a show called Automatic 80s, and we have a few gigs coming up that we thought we'd mention. So if you happen to be listening to this episode uh, in the next sort of week after it's released, on 25th of November we're playing at Oreva Christmas in the Park, which is a big free gig family thing, and I believe we're on about seven 7.30 or something. Uh, we're also playing in Nelson on January 1st, And we're playing at the Mangawai Tavern on January 13th. And then we're playing for the first time in Napier on February 24th. So if you'd like to find out more about those shows and get tickets and all the rest of it, go to www.automatic80s.co.nz and visit and follow the Facebook page, which is just Facebook slash Automatic 80s. All right, today's guest is Paul Walsh. What a fascinating dude. Most of the time we talk to entertainers and musicians and producers and actors and so on. Um, but one of the things we've always discussed between us, at least, is that we want to celebrate the people behind the scenes as well. Not just the people on the stage, but all of the people that, that make entertainment happen. Well, you couldn't do it without them, let's say. Uh, and security is a big issue. And, and one could argue an increasingly uh, big issue, a growing issue so uh paul walsh uh as you'll hear in the episode he's he's worked for the police force he's been in special tactics and now he's more recently doing private security he's worked with people like metallica slipknot even justin bieber and he's one of these guys who again didn't think he was very interesting uh you sure you want to record a podcast with me i don't i don't know if i've got anything to say and then of course this happens so hold on tight enjoy the ride
3: now let's do this (laughs)
0: Don't give up your day job. So you're one of these people that uh that we talk about quite often who we invite on the show and you, and you say um I'm not sure if I'll be interesting enough, you know. But then as you look at what you've done, it's crazy interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not convinced but, you know, yeah. we'll yeah. see. Is that a self-deprecating
2: thing do you think or or are you just so
0: used to your lifestyle
2: and your your work that yeah, it's an interesting question, I guess. Um, I think it's probably a little bit of that Kiwi, right. Anna thing there. You know, yeah. you, you, you kind of downplay it. There's plenty of other people out in the world doing bigger and more exciting things than, than me. But I think, um, you know. <laughs> Another for, comment that may seem funny by the end of the episode. <laughs> for, for the most part, yeah, yeah. When people go, the the, the roles I've had in the, in the police and the travel that I've done and the experiences I've had, yeah, it's yeah. Cer- certainly not your 9 to 5 office job is
0: it so where did it all start well I think grew grew up in New Zealand obviously yeah yeah Yeah.
2: born and bred New Zealand yeah Um, which part up in Taranaki uh, oh yeah New Plymouth and then through to Auckland Um, but really the the pathway to where I've got started in the police yeah so most of my time Uh, and the police was in in specialist squads so uh, the armed defender squad and special tactics group right Um,
0: did you go into that Specifically, or did you just join the force and no. get there? Or? No,
2: no. Look, I had a, a, a mindset of being a career cop, right? You know, um, copper and blue, and um, I didn't even know the special tactics group existed. You right. Know, I just yeah. it was at police college one day and saw these guys running around with guns and in black and rappelling down the buildings, and I thought, shit, these guys look pretty good. It's like a rock and roll moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, like
2: I knew, I knew the police had the armed defender squad, which mm. is very uh, has a very high sort of public profile, if you like. Yeah. Um, but didn't know about the special tactics group and then you know I started my my policing career in Auckland and and loved it and full of admiration for what um, the men and women in blue do but um, you know then got my opportunity to to try out for and join the armed defender squad Um, and in Auckland there's also a a unit of the special tactics group and um, you know got an opportunity to try out and Put my hand up for that and got selected and joined the sniper team and then you know the career continued for the next 12 years of my 16 year career pretty much full time in that unit. And so, what's the difference between that group and you know what the army do? Um, uh, primarily well, it's domes- a... It's you'd be a, domestic right?
0: Uh, yes domestic. it is domestic, it's, right. a, it's a policing group. It's, it's not true. like you're going to be sent
3: overseas
2: to Afghanistan or, or Iraq. Got sent overseas to East Timor. <laughs> uh, oh in that but, police but, role? But, but volunteered for that. Uh, uh-huh. Well, my wife was pregnant, actually, with our first kid. <laughs> <laughs> that would have gone down well. Sorry, did you say be- Sorry, Sam. Did, did you say because
0: your wife was pregnant? <laughs> uh, no, no.
2: But uh, we were actually joking about it the other day to a mate of mine, and I said um, we actually had a bit of a darts competition around home, caught up with some old mates, and uh, uh, we've got two fantastic kids, Sammy and Max. Um, I've never been to an antenatal class yet. And right. I, in fact, I said, hey, uh, Huru, uh, I'm off to East Timor for six months. Mate, can you fill in for me and go to Kushler's antenatal classes with you? And he went, yes, mate. Yep, no problem. So, wow. um I don't have friends like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, sorry. I'd like to say I'd do that for you, but <laughs> yeah. I've been to one and uh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is then a you know, testament to an amazing wife, I guess. Um, but to go back to your question, now the, the the police special tactics group, um, you know, sort of reports through to the commissioner. They have a, 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 um, a clear mandate of, you know, they, they attend operations that are outside the scope of the armed defender squad or, you know, high-risk operations or counterterrorism stuff. Right. Um, so it's... Uh, it's it's different to the military uh same but different um you know the military is a you know very highly trained group of guys uh who are part of the New Zealand defense force and you know have roles here in New Zealand and overseas so right. I, I guess a lot of people from New Zealand you know probably feel like not a lot happens
0: here you know like there's not much threat down here but i mean uh, 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 are you guys just doing a very good job and and we and don't know. hear about it you don't or? hear about it or
2: yeah well i, I you know when I say you guys, it's them now. I've been out for a while. but Yeah, true, um, yeah. Uh, you know, if you look at that global space, is New, Ze- is New Zealand a soft target? Well, I think it's a target. Mm. Um, you only have to look at the global stage to see what's going on. But, and it's, you know, it's not just the New Zealand police that are fighting that fight. You've got intelligence agencies and a whole bunch of other stuff going on. But, you know, I, I guess our isolation as a nation helps us a little bit. But in some ways, I think, That that then makes us a a soft target by the very nature of being a soft target. Right. Like if you're a bad guy, let's put our bad guy hats on. Hey, where should we go next? Let's go somewhere soft, yeah, or easy. Yeah. Which you know adds to that whole sort of thing of the global space of terrorism and badness. I guess. Yeah, Yeah, because you'd think like, what would they want to do down here? Like, what's down
0: here? But at the same time, what's the rationale for anything that's going on? It's all completely mad right and yeah. you know, if
3: you wanted to make a statement you know um, New Z- if, if New Zealand was seen as a soft target mm. th- people will go well New Zealand there's nothing down there for them to worry about and then suddenly if New Zealand got hit with something would be like okay that's a message sent yeah. to somebody or to yeah. some group out there yeah, yeah true what does a, um, a special tactics officer do of a day you get up in the morning is it a 9 to 5 kind of thing and then uh, clock out at 5 o'clock
2: hang up your guns they probably get up at like <laughs> four, four, 4 o'clock in the morning and do press ups uh, Oco- yeah. or can you not say no, no look I, I mean at the end of the day you, you you're a high performing team um, uh, so training is very much a, a part of what they do right um, you know if you want to become expert in anything you you do the small stuff well so it's just repetitive training You 10,000 yep. um, hours yeah 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 you know yeah. And, and, and pushing the team uh, to the edge I guess um, and then there's you know there's real time operations that they are required to do and plan for and and, and um, you know so it, it's a very busy unit and well certainly was uh, when I was there and um, you know when I catch up with the guys it's it's still very much so.
3: Mm-hmm. What does it take to become a part of that that unit? Like you is a certain fitness level or um, expertise with weapons or or. Um, um- fighting style or something how do you get involved probably psychological too right like yeah there's look there's a little bit of
2: all of that there's there's selections that the guys have to get to go through Mm -hmm. um a lot harder today than it wasn't what wasn't my day but i I, I guess they're looking for an attitude and a mindset you know the technical skills can be taught for most people yeah Mm -hmm. um so it's an attitude and a mindset uh, coupled with um some good levels of fitness and you know and 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 a team ethos right like you can right um you know, it's like any high performance team, you, you've got to be a team player.
3: And, and you're relying on the person next to you in the, yeah, in the trench, so to speak.
2: Yeah, 100%, 100%, yeah. you know, uh, there's a no dicks in the jersey kind of <laughs> All Blacks philosophy, if you like, you know, like, right. you yeah. know, team first kind yeah. of stuff. Right. I was going to ask that also about your current work,
0: um, how, you know, how do you know whether someone's on the level, you know, I, I guess you've gotten pretty good at reading people. Uh, what in terms of like in, in terms of you know not recruiting someone who's crazy or you know yeah <laughs> having having some
2: the people with the right minds around you yeah I mean I'm not uh, not overly re- recruiting people in the space that I'm working in at the moment um, <laughs> but uh, you know I I uh, when when you sort of do look for people to come on board with you or help you on gigs um, or in any space I, I guess I think you you, you uh, you know, you thin slice people pretty quickly, don't you? And if mm. you've got to sort of wonder too much whether they're the right fit, then you've probably already answered it in your own head. Sure. Right, you yeah. know, I remember yeah. a, a, an executive from Icebreaker um, telling that at a, at a speech that I heard him. He said, "If you look, if you're umming and ahhing too much, then you've already made it up in your own mind. Yeah, right. So, you know, you, you know when people are the right fit. Probably yeah. true about a lot of things in life, eh? Yeah, I think yeah. so, right? Yeah, just trust yeah. your instinct a bit. Yeah, yeah 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 exactly so what, ha- go, go, what go
0: with that gut instinct exactly what happened after um
2: you were in the special forces uh' oh, it's, I don't even like that term special, special. forces because it's not you know uh, but anyway uh, the special uh, uh once I left the police um kind of hit that point you know what do you do uh getting a little bit older and and, and do you either stay in the police forever in a career which yep. was certainly one option um or go and and try your hand at something else and right. does was, the police get free tickets to everything? You get, you get to go into the, into the rugby, to the cricket, to the concerts. Uh, in my early policing career, I was, I was told to work, I'm um, well not told, you know, I put my hand up and said, hey, I'll work uh, plain clothes, which was just a term back then when you're on section, right? Like you're yeah. just dressing in jeans and plain clothes and, right. you know, go, go lock up people for whatever. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, hey, can you work plain clothes with whoever? I forget who it was. We want you at the two Rolling Stones gigs uh, at (laughs) Western Springs. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) So, plain clothes uh, at the Stones. So. They were good, good concerts, as I remember them. Uh, but are you are you the guy that's facing the other way? Watching yeah, I was just going to ask that. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> I always look yeah. at those poor security guys. hey, eh? all this
0: amazing shit happening right behind their heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll <laughs> we'll come back to that. I'm sure because
2: that does my head in. Once so I started working a little bit in that in that in that scene. No, yeah. back then, mate, I was just there for the uh, for the show because <laughs> <laughs> I, I I did this um
3: I had this piece of music that I'd written or some music for a short film that Helen Clark was. Um, at the museum she was launching this documentary thing and the dps um people they were really conspicuous like they were a foot taller than everyone else they had dark glasses on and it was nighttime yeah and they were the ones looking at the crowd the whole time and i swear to god that i don't think they they knew that i was part of the thing because i was just this guy there by myself with a bear in the corner just watching things happen and then one of them i think caught my eye and then he suddenly just came up and stood right behind me as if I was some sort of threat. Right. Whatever. And I was yeah. like, Fuck, let's just check this out. And I moved and then he followed right? and moved. And it was and hilarious. And then they asked me to come up and talk about the music. And he's like, oh, okay, this guy's part of the deal. I but, had a weird um, hat
0: on Clark moment at a gig once. I was playing a gig and she was a, um, a guest there. And she, her and her team were making their way from one side of the room to the other. They decided to walk right in front of the stage and um, between the people in the stage. And she... We were at full volume in the middle of the show, and she and her, her staff walked past the big speakers, straight past the band, oh, and and didn't flinch at the volume. Didn't like she her ears went right past the speakers, and she didn't flinch. And I'm like, I don't know if she's human, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, kind of like an ET moment. Yeah. Right.
3: <laughs> so you must have had a lot of those experiences in in your time. Um, but when you, you were talking about how when you left, what did you go on to do? Are you private security, or
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, um. So. so I left uh, and I remember it reasonably clearly, right? Like, I decided that it was time. And, you know, we, we had a training session in the, in the morning and we mapped out the, the training for the day. And then I said, hey, boys, uh, you know, i put my notice in. I'm out of here in, I think, about a month or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, and they said, you know, hey, what are you going to do? And, 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 um, and uh, I, I didn't have a clear plan, which was a little bit unusual for me, but I, I knew I wanted to do something. Uh and then anyway, so literally on the last day before I walked out there was a flash on the on the desk phone and it was a, a really good mate of mine um who had reached out, he was working in Africa and basically, you know, through the conversation said, Hey Walsh, you wanna come and work in Africa, we're gonna build up the security for this gold mine in, wow. in which, Tanzania. Which,
0: on Tanzania, right. Mm, in
2: a in a, in a in a in a suburb as uh, in a province Buzwagi. And um I went, you know what? sounds pretty good to me and i i think literally you know four weeks almost to the day after um after uh leaving the police i landed on this dirt strip in in africa with a pack and and caught up with my mate sid and said g'day mate and you know, he said g'day mate you know and, and and next thing we're um helping build up the security uh in this mine in africa which um which was a huge challenge and a steep learning curve and embedded into, you know, a, a, a mining culture, if you like, in, in the back blocks of Africa. And um,
0: and what state is Tanzania actually in? You know, like, what is it a... My concept of Tanzania
2: is purely speculative you know. uh uh geez I, I don't even know if i'm qualified to, to comment um do you mean politically in- i mean like is, is it
0: a dangerous place is it is it very third world i mean or, or it's not it quite- very third world yeah. i mean it,
2: it, it's a it's a developing nation in mm-hmm. africa it's it's um not at the level of south africa but it's not one of the poorer nations right. it's very rich in minerals okay um uh not like i um, other parts of Africa it's high levels of corruption which yeah. I found out yeah uh-huh. um and you know we were we were in a, in a province you know t- um towards uh the west of uh of Tanzania you know towards a, the border of the Congo yeah and um you know there it was they're amazing people right like lovely people but the, you kind of get that you do get the oh shit we've organizations come in and we're developing the gold and you know all of the problems social problems that come with that right suddenly there's this big gold mine lots of money lots of wealth coming in so many jobs for some people but not for others yeah. and you know it just brings about you know theft of in fact it wasn't theft of gold it's not that what what, what was sought but it was diesel diesel oh. is a liquid gold you know so clearly right. all of the trucks and everything runs on diesel and um so lots of lots of uh, um, thefts of, of, of diesel. So you got um, you know villagers breaking your perimeter at all hours of the night to steal the diesel and running after that and you know chasing like, down like the bag. out guys of vehicles,
0: siphoning out of vehicles. Yeah. Right. Yep. yep.
2: Oh. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. And, and so w- the, you know there there were some tense moments here. You know, yeah. um, you know, sort of. W- was it
3: was there an organised crime element to it, or was it just villagers coming?
2: Oh no! Look, I I think it would be both. It's like anywhere, right? right? Like there's yeah. there's levels of organised of organised crime, yeah. Um, and then there's you know villagers taking their opportune moments to go right. and get some diesel to sell and support their family because they feel that they've missed out in the whole yeah. thing. Right? Yeah. 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 So you know, um, there are some hair racing moments here, and and and.
0: And do you feel fair or, you know, <laughs> or by this point are you, is your training somehow uh, overriding that? No, there,
2: was a, there, there wasn't, wasn't a fair thing. It was part of, this is a bit of an adventure thing, right? Right. Um, but without going into all of the details, yeah, there were certainly some hair-raising moments, holy right. shit moments. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's for sure. Uh, you know, but worked with some really great people, mm. um, locals and in that mining industry
0: like I wonder how it compares to which this may seem ridiculous but musicians going on stage right a lot of people outside of the entertainment world couldn't think of anything worse than walking out on stage and they, they often say do you get nervous they often ask that um, and, and I don't know about you Bobby but for me I don't really get nervous I'm mean, so used to it if anything you feel a little bit amped up I think
3: something. the you, you find ways to deal with the adrenaline and I'm assuming yeah, you guys must that, as that's well sort of you what I'm saying you, you can't run on adrenaline in the red 24-7 because the, the stress um, levels that that yeah but you must have some training to deal with that with us it must come we must have found a way to deal with it because i was just, never one yeah. of those people that really felt comfortable when i first started and then yeah now you kind of get used to
0: it the- yeah i think the desire to do it it was more important to me than the fear of what
2: might go wrong
0: and but still <laughs> but know. still there is that sort of tweak just before you walk on and
3: then yeah. and then you get on the stage and you are like, well there's nothing i can do now right it's, yeah we've got to do this that's so right.
2: yeah. Uh, yeah that's uh no i get that it's um uh, you know, and, and, and sort of that that world that I've been at, when you have those critical incidences and in those moments and you resort back to that training, right? Like That's when you switch, you, you flick the switch. Yep. Right. And, right. and and you jump into that moment of, you know, your critical incident planning and, and you know, all of that kind of stuff kicks in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yes, you're right, you can't live in that space all mm. of the time and mm. you don't need to. Right. You just need to turn it on when you need to turn it on, you know? And I, yeah. Remember, sort of saying having that as a as a bit of a mantra. You know, like, flick it on like a light switch, lads, and turn it on when it needs to be turned on, and then flick it off. Right, you know, because so. fear is also in many ways a survival mechanism, isn't it? You know, you need to. I suppose you need to be. It's able natural. To be, it's natural to be fearful. Yeah, exactly. It's right to be fearful. You need to listen to it. I yeah, guess. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know that's. Um, you know that's like the uh, the adrenaline all kicking in your body. That's a fight or flight syndrome, which is all all built to us. We all have it. Right. Had it since chasing saber-toothed tigers. So, yeah, you're right. You you have to have your body listen to that. Have you had moments
0: that, when your inst- instincts have suddenly started screaming at you, but there's nothing apparent in front of you, you know, no apparent threat that reveals itself straight away? Like you just think, I need to get out of here.
2: Um, uh, yeah, I, I guess so. Um, and they haven't been real big holy shit moments. It's just mm. like we were talking about before it's that gut feel, that gut instinct. This is not a good place to be. Right. Uh, so let's exit stage left. And and so you know one incident in, in in Africa, we took a client into a into a into a cafe. It just had that bad feeling and bad vibe around it. And part of your drills is to find out an alternate exit. And 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 we just exited. So yeah. nothing nothing big happened in that. You know that was nothing huge. But you know I I think a lot of people. Um, in terms of that situational awareness stuff, get themselves into bad situations because they don't follow on, up on their gut instinct. Right. right, exactly. right and it's and, yeah. and that afterthought thing. They go, oh, fuck. I, I knew, knew it, that was going to happen. Yeah. I knew, you know, so people yeah. will all say, I knew that was going to happen. I just knew it. Yeah. Well, why didn't you act on it? Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, or conversely, they have the, oh, shit, I didn't see that coming. Mm.
3: Yeah. You know, what about the um you know presumably there's some points in your career or or part of your job where you have to fight against the instinct to run away because you you can't leave the situation and you've got to actually go well my job now is actually to stay here and make sure that this shit doesn't get any worse
2: but your body's telling you get the fuck out of
3: there yeah
2: (laughs) yeah yeah uh, i mean um uh, like I haven't even thought about this for for, for for years actually and just as you've mentioned that I'll go as soon as you sort of led into that I went shit that was this moment mm. so we were in East Timor and um, uh, when we arrived in East Timor uh, um, we I, I actually got posted to Dili you know this is right. in 1999 it's just after the the war ha- has just come to an end it's an internal conflict and it's, it's turning point really and and uh, uh, I remember I arrived there with mate Cappy and and we were posted to Dili and I went shit I did all of this selection to get over here and they're putting us in the capital I don't want to be in Dili mm. and so I remember saying to the guys the commissioner whoever it was he says can you get me out of here I don't want to be in Dili right. and he says where do you want to go I said well get me to the most remote spot or you know um, wherever and they says, well we can send you to Akusi because we're pulling some Aussies out of there um, and it's the the it's an enclave, so it's not actually in East Timor. So if you look at an island, cut it in half, East and West, this enclave was actually in the, in the Western part. So it's actually a little right. part inside West Timor. Yep. And I said, yep, send us there. And he said, well, there's nothing there. And it had actually been decimated. Um, so we arrived there and we loved it. We spent six months there working with a whole bunch of great people. And, um, and we, we, we never had electricity for, for, for six months. I think we got it in five months. and three weeks, we got some <laughs> generated power. Wow. <laughs> And so you're just having, you know, your warm beer and, and eating tins of tuna and two-minute noodles and it was great, great yeah. times, eating goat. <laughs> um, but the incident that, that happened, we, we befriended some, some locals and they helped us out and um, there was an incident there. Were, there was uh, the, the, the TNI the, the, um, and, the, and the local authorities in, in West Timor. There was a big repatriation of East Timorese and, and these villagers. Um, And one of the villages uh, um, had a a teenage boy, young teenage boy. And anyway, there was this big gathering, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, And and they'd been reunited through the conflict and and it was actually a a, a good place. But the Indonesian uh, police were there and they grabbed this 13-year-old kid and were wanting to take him away. And I knew that there was a good chance, you know, like it was just a bad moment. Right, right. And so all these people were running this way, and and Cappy and I were walking this way to where to where this kid was, and we got there and and grabbed the boy. I forget his name, and um, there was this big standoff between us and the and the and the local authorities. And and at one point, a pistol that's this, this um, local cop guy pulled pulled his bloody firearm, and it was almost like this complete standoff. So right. you know. Um, but you know what? He, what were we going to do? We we cut him back down, and it was just right. you know no the lads. We're coming We're taking with me. this boy with us. H- yeah, yep. he's coming with me. Do what you want, and mm. you know, ho- hoping that it would get caught on the on the media stage or, or, or something, yeah. right? Or hoping that the, the the bloody blue hat of the UN had some credibility that they weren't going to do anything stupid right um, but that was a you know that was a tense sort of standoff moment and, and and the kid came with us uh we got him back to his parents you know they were they were in tears and, and did f- the uh, what did the authorities do did they just sort of let you walk away yeah well i mean you know you're you're, you're wearing the flag of the un so right. they, they want to take on that 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 um sure that fight so to speak so yeah. Yeah. you know that was a that was a you know a, a tense sort of standoff moment and how can I mean? There must be occasions where, I mean, how do you decide how much force is
0: required when you do have to retaliate or, or whatever? Security guards, for example, over the years have had moments where they've been far too aggressive. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah they thing. have been right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, I guess there's a balance because you you can't be too soft. No, you know, depending on what the job is. Yeah. No. So, uh,
2: okay. No, it, 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 it's a good question. Um, is you know there's time and place to use force and there's yeah. time and place to use violence um, my career has been around you know a lot of firearms through so being a you know a, a sniper and on the assault team and, but I'm yep. not a gun person so right. I'm not into guns and I'm and I'm not into violence wait you've um, been a sniper but you're not into guns yeah That's yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> right? yeah 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 yeah. well yep. I st- you know bloody hell it was the it was the thirty thousand dollars worth of rifle and scope that they gave you that, that, that makes you good, right? Um, are there guys you, are there I'm, I'm underplaying that, that because, yeah. but you know, I love my time on those teams sure. and in those squads. But I'm not you know, I'm not a, a, a gun fanatic. Yeah, yeah. Um I don't think it doesn't require you to be, does it? No, no. No, no, yeah. no. I mean I'm I'm I was there for the mateship and the and the role that we were there to do yeah, and, yeah. And, and and the team to be a part of that team. Um, yeah, but trying, there comes right. a time and place where you've got to use force. And mm-hmm. I'll go back to that point I made. You've got to turn on the light switch. Well, it comes same to applying force. So there's time to be, you know, uh, extremely aggressive, yes, extremely aggressive mm-hmm. and, and at times violent. Um, but then you've got to be able to turn that off like a light switch. So, there's, right. you know, I, I don't subscribe to the overuse of force in and, 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 and any environment, policing, no. military, or even bloody, you know, you see it out on the streets in the you know in the newspapers i mean i wouldn't have expected you to you know promote the idea No, but it's
0: more about how do you yeah. control
2: i you, know, uh, you well, how do you as that's a that's human how do you manage thing. it yeah, you, yeah. You, you turn it on and you turn it off yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a conscious thing an yeah.
3: analogy might be like when you come off stage after a great gig mm. how do you come down from that because and or if you've been in a really tense situation as a security person uh and you say after the east team or west team Maurice experience you've taken that boy away he's gone back to his family there must be a certain kind of um tapering off of the adrenaline, and how do you because in the music industry a lot of people deal with that by drugs
0: alcohol yeah. um, and the other thing though is sometimes you, sometimes addiction. you don't and some you people know, don't deal some, with i mean it. sometimes after a gig i don't sleep is there a problem yeah, in, yeah, your, yeah, yeah. in your in yeah. your industry with people
3: not coping with those situations well and choosing the wrong things to to ease oh. the pain so to speak
2: Well, i you know i i, I think Probably the answer to that is yes, because they're human, they're people, and yeah. you know, they're just a cross section of society. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but you know, I think it's as a simple in the moment. You've just got to un- be in the moment, right? And you, you you turn it on and you turn it off. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then at the end of it, like you know, we 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 did some. Um, have been involved in some you know pretty big operations over the years, and and you come back from that, and of course, yeah, it's a bit of a, an adrenaline high. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, even in those moments of, of, of badness where it's, um, you know, a little bit a uh, little bit more on the risky side, you, you come away from that and you're a little bit pumped, right? Yeah, a like mm-hmm. a gig. So, mm, well, I suppose yeah.
0: there's probably also stuff that comes back to you, right? And you know, in the in the wee small hours. I, yeah. I mean, I do. I have yeah. those things, yeah, 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 <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, what bad, yeah, yeah, bad yeah. gigs or just, oh, just lots of things. <laughs> right. Sometimes it's good things. Rock, just okay. lie there and relive my life. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, that was amazing when they cheered me for that solo <laughs> yeah. that I did for uh, yeah, fifteen was, years yeah, ago. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that,
2: that those times where I've sort of had the, you know, been fortunate enough to 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 work on the edges of the rock and roll scene, I guess. And y- you listen to the guys, and um, they come off, and they they know when it's been a great gig, and they're amped and they're pumped. And yeah. They're, uh, and they know when it's been a shit gig in terms of a, the crowd wasn't so good, and, right. and yeah. they feel it as well. And you know, you stand back from that, and you, you see the same things. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. wonder
3: how many of them have a, um, a critical strat- ac- action plan to deal with those things that go wrong, like you guys have with your training. Not many. I mean, the way that we deal
2: with a bad gig <laughs> yeah. is to, to not drink, drink the beers. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, well. hell. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I think in the global sense now, those bands, you know, are, are been in terms of security, not in terms of their playing performance on stage, <laughs> but in terms that they 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 have and need to start thinking in that space. of yeah. those planes. Right. Yeah, it's changing a bit, isn't it? I've, I've only
3: been on a couple of tours where with security has been needed as a detail to f- tour with us. You know, right? I don't know. Do you know Mike Gent at all? No. Mike Gent. So he was a, a, a gentleman from the North Shore. Unfortunately, passed away a few years ago. But he had a group of security guys that would do um rock tours around new zealand with bands and and so forth and just the level of professionalism of these guys because they are all you know brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts and they know how to take someone to the ground if they need to but Mm. the level of confidence and poise that you see these people have in their job it was because they're in the face of drunk people or drunk people are in their face all the time yeah and they just like calm collected okay this guy is getting out of hand we've got to take mm-hmm. him outside and, and then let the venue
0: security deal with getting rid of him but I always wonder how yeah. they deal with all the, the antagonistic smart ass comments that get thrown at them because I would last about five seconds if someone was giving yeah, me shit yeah well like, like does, I guess
3: it comes down to temperament and training I don't know yeah. but, but Mike was he he was also in the he was in the special forces for the navy I believe or the naval intelligence yeah um, group but he was just the nicest guy you could ever meet but you could tell he could really fuck you up if you mess right. with him. You have, you, have
0: you had to deal with that kind of thing? Like maybe more as a policeman, possibly? Um, people being a smart, like antagonistic, throwing comments at you and
2: that sort of stuff. When uh,
0: normal people would just lose their shit and like you have to keep it together.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, you know, those young policing days that, you know, you know particularly in the big cities, um, that cops face that every, yeah. every bloody night. You know, right. They'll face that tonight. Yeah. You know, drunk in a day. it's nothing good happens in Auckland City after three AM, I think that is not so you know. Um so yes, uh dealt with that a lot as you know, in my early days as a cop, did I always handle it well? No. <laughs> <laughs> so right. you know, sorry to those someone out there if you got a broken yeah, nose, you, got the bad day. <laughs> day, you were the last one at the end of the night that, that got thrown in the back of the car. Yeah. Um, yeah. but that's real. Right. You know, you're young cop and you know, get locked up and
0: yeah well we don't we could probably We res- don't have to
2: take so much shit you know right all of the time and 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 we give the police force a lot of shit as well don't we man i've seen I them mean, do some yeah.
3: heroic fucking shit though uh it's just they don't get paid enough as far as i don't know how much they get paid but, <laughs> <laughs> but they, i they not uh, get paid I don't, either. <laughs> yeah. they, i've seen some heroic shit from police i, I work in south auckland yeah every week and um I've seen some stuff in there where I was like, fuck, I would just get out of there. But these cops walk into the fray. Mm, Uh, Literally, I saw a kid with a pistol my first day in Marguerite. Right. um, And it turns out it was a fake pistol, but it looked real as hell to me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, walking around the town centre with it, and I was about to call the cops, and a cop car comes screaming around the corner like something out of a movie. Slammed the brakes on, walked up to this kid, and he literally just grabbed the gun out of his hand. Mm. Sure, the kid was like 13 or whatever, and this guy was 6 foot... Fucking twelve, yeah. Um, and uh, but it was heroic because I didn't know that that gun wasn't real. I didn't know, if and nor top, did he. He didn't know that either. No, yeah, but he literally grabbed it out of his hand, no fear. Mm. it didn't seem like it. No,
2: they so do. That, they do an amazing job. Yeah, yeah, they do. Amazing and and job. the f- shit they have to put up
3: with, man. Mm. Like, could you turn up to a crash scene where someone's lost half their face because the steering wheel's gone through their head? Yeah, no, me that kind of shit. You yeah, know? that's I couldn't stand that crap. Yeah yeah special kind of people mm. definitely so what happened after Tanzania
2: um uh how much gold did you take <laughs> 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 or is it hidden no, in the jungle somewhere yeah, you're gonna go yeah, back I gotta day. go back for it <laughs> I gotta go back and I can't go back uh <laughs> drama happened and anyway so I had to leave that gig mm. uh and then um got an opportunity to to go to Afghanistan presumably you don't want to talk about that drama <laughs> probably best not to we okay. don't have enough time okay um <laughs> uh, and uh then went to afghanistan mm-hmm. um as, as part of a security team over there for um uh global strategies group
0: and what year is this roughly? Uh, what is it where
2: are we 2000 and 2010 2011 okay yeah global street is that Blackwater? uh no but no. same but different right so, uh, same, same. private security force yeah yeah yep. exactly right um and worked over there with a with a great bunch of guys um from different units around the world uh, a mate from the ex-new zealand S C G and there were some guys from the british military and mm-hmm. the royal marines and and uh, some aussies so you know it was a good 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 group of lads um and and doing security details over there we're flying a lot of people um uh, dignitaries and and locals around different parts of Afghanistan. So right. a lot of flying in helicopters and escorting, you know, sort of VIP escorts.
0: Do you feel that um, Afghanistan is, is um, represented relatively well on the news, or or is it a different place when you're there? It's still a war zone. Yeah, yeah, it? Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. Look, it, it's, it's still a war zone. I have a fear that um, at some point it'll all, you know, the, if the... If the... Um, the countries that are there now trying to help stabilise it. If they pull out, then it'll just implode and right. go back to what it was. Except now it'll have pretty good infrastructure and <laughs> and and airfields and 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 stuff. So mm. you know. Um, but you know, I, I enjoyed my time there. as was a, a good bunch of lads. But um, you know, again, a, a, a few sort of hairy moments over there. Um, yeah, presumably, if you're going into um, so you like taking oil executives and all those kinds
3: of people, like VIPs to to inspect things or to go to, to do business, but do the, the the locals must be suspicious of what's happening in their country? Are they, or do you feel threatened? Um, do I, did if, I feel threatened? well when you're in that? Uh, when you're out of, I, I assume you must spend the time in a compound where you stay. Yeah, yeah we were but, we
2: were, ah we were in a compound. I mean. Um, uh, I, how safe did I feel? The safest I felt at times over there. I would drive myself around at night in a beat-up Toyota Corolla car. Um, you know, did you have to wear a disguise? A, 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 a <laughs> disguise. And, and and just you know, <laughs> make sure you're carrying your your, your firearm and a right. pistol under your leg. And but no, I would drive around at night. Right. Um, Do you stand out in those situations? Not if you're near a beat-up. Toyota Corolla car amongst right. right. 10,000 other beat-up Toyota Corolla sure. cars on the road. You yeah. know, like, shit, there's an American convoy coming through. Mm. <laughs> Stay away from that. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. Right. And, yeah, right, sure. But if you, you, you blend in and you don't stop and you have some basic procedures and you know where you're going, yeah. then then you, you kind of carry it on. Is there risk? Yes. Uh, can you reduce it? Yes. Um, and what is, would the is, risk is, be? Is, is, is there risk? driving on our roads here in New Zealand. Sure. Yes. But what would, yes, if but you were driving around at night there, what
3: would yeah, actually the you, risk you're be? Not you're not likely in New Zealand to drive into an insurgent checkpoint. <laughs> yeah. Stop. No.
2: Well, mm. it, what would the risks be? The risks would be, yeah, getting stopped or followed or, you know, yeah. something like that. So um, it's, a, it's a, you know, Kabul is just a, when you're driving through it, it's just a bloody madhouse. There's no road rules and there's, <laughs> right. it's just chaotic, you know. Um, uh, so... You know, sort of being followed or being deliberately targeted, um, for then, for, then for, then for kidnapping or for robbery, yeah, 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 or yeah. For, yes, yeah. to all of those, just yep. everything, yep. Yep. Right. Yep. Okay. You know. yeah, right, yeah, okay, yeah. So, you know, and and then outside of that, yeah, you're part of like you would. It's been in the news. I mean, I I, I follow it because I've I've been there when. Mm you know, hotels get targeted or compounds get targeted or car bombs go off and all of that kind of stuff and, um, you know, expats or NGOs or, you know, foreign security teams get targeted because of that Um, or because, you know, sorry, because of being there. Hmm. Uh, Yeah, you know, they're at risk but, you know, um, we had, and the time that we were sort of, you know, another another team and another compound, so not us, Um, but, you know, they had a whole bunch of bloody Taliban come over the wall and, you know, there was a firefight inside the compound. So, yeah, yeah, for, okay. you know. I mean,
0: are, are you sort of at any... guys you, won that. Are you thinking <laughs> no, of, no, like at any no. moment? Is that always in the back of your head? At any moment something could blow up or... Uh,
2: I, I, I don't think you live in that space of, of any moment because mm. then it just locks you into a fear bubble, right? So right. You, you have a job to do and then you have other stuff that you do, so you do it. Yeah. Um, but you're always mindful. Like, right. uh, you know, your, your situational awareness is totally in tune whenever you're going so yeah. you're aware of your surroundings you're aware of vehicles you're aware of movement you know you have your kit and equipment mm. ready to go and, and you're on point it's game time I was in
0: um, I was in Budapest last year and we were walking into one area to go for dinner and we were deciding between two areas went one way and um, not the other way and then the next morning discovered that the other way that we almost went someone um, let off a nail bomb took out, took out a couple of people Yeah, okay. only a few blocks away from where we were Yeah and you know i mean i'm not in this world so i'm now i'm trying to process the thoughts you know yeah. what do i do do i hide right, right. <laughs> you know and and i i kind of came to the same conclusion no i've got to carry on you know you never know when anything can happen
2: yeah of course right you know yeah 100% yeah um i think there's an element of uh people being caught in the in the wrong moment at the wrong time yeah um but that's a very small percent right i think that if you're caught up in the moment if you survive that like if you had gone right and got caught up in that nail bomb thing then Mm. there are things that you should do and know and understand to to keep yourself from that point you know if you survive that moment know where the exit strategies are know whether you either you know hold there or run or you know that kind of stuff so it's that situational awareness of you know what you know um if something happens what am i going to do yeah yeah feel free not to answer this
3: question but do you think that it's a um it's truly a religious fundamental thing, or is it political? Is it the money in, in Afghanistan, uh, the resources, oil, money, whatever, or are, are the are the people being used as pawns like the Taliban for, you know, getting insurgents into their ranks to take on foreign people coming into the country. So yeah, is it a religious thing or is it literally uh, the, the politics more than anything?
2: Um, I think it's both. I think it's the religious and the politics and and foreign nations, foreign policies, and and, and all of that, mm. underpinned by there is huge wealth in that country and there's power. Um, uh, so I think it's you know it's a mixture of all of that. Um, yeah. And underneath it, you've got a a nation that's been bloody invaded and been occupied for hundreds of years and mm. has always been fighting for it. Um, you know, the, the the Taliban are a brutal regime. Um, mm yeah needed to be taken out of power that's left a vacuum what fills it mm, mm. You know. are they out of power now um say? well that the, 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 there's the government in rule in Af- Afghanistan now but you know i read recently somewhere that the taliban now have a certain percentage control of the of the country back right um you know when we were there and um all of the provinces if you like were were uh under the control of the of the afghan government and the coalition forces that were there um now that those forces for the most part have 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 pulled back certainly in the combat roles um Mm. you know a a part of that country has come back i mean the taliban what do they do they retreat back into the mountains head back into pakistan wait for their moment yeah um Mm. you know we you know, in the Western world, we, we go in cycles of political parties and what that's our foreign policy. Yeah. You know, so we measure ours in terms of political cycles, three years, four years or whatever. <clears throat> right. They are happy to wait 10, 20 years, 100 years, jihads, thousand years, you know, like,
0: i yeah. will just yeah. wait
2: their time and, 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 and come back. So. And I feel like this is a stupid question, but I
0: feel like this is what a lot of people are wondering is why yeah. even after about 15 years or however long it's been, why is it so hard to t- to get rid of them? Are they just all over the place? oh they're, they're just are, spread out everywhere, or
2: where are they who are they right, right 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 yeah you know you've got um you know as as an example, what do you do if you're a village and the Taliban come in and go we're in control now and if you don't do it our way then off with your head yeah what mm-hmm. are you going to do
3: mm-hmm.
2: right do mm-hmm. what they say do what they say and yeah. then when the the military come through and the, the forces and there's a new hierarchy government and the Taliban get moved out and they say well we're in charge now we're going to do it this way mm. what are you going to do mm. you know and then the Taliban come back so p- people want to survive and people want to live and so I, get, I got and its fundamental sort of core but I also what,
3: what do you do if you're, you're a villager and you're village your whole family generations of your family have been taken out by you know drones and you survive what do you do then do hate, you breeds, joy, hate. Hate, I, I, breed, hate yeah 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 100 yeah,
2: yeah. percent. Yeah. and i get yep. it i uh, totally get it i mean mm. i saw that in its rawness and um in east timor right you know okay. I, uh, this is going to sound brutal but I, I, I spoke to a kid who who was Forced to watch his father be beheaded and and then the, the, they use his head as a football, as a soccer. Holy ball. shit! Right, and that and kid so now, what's, what's that kid he going to do? do? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like it's, it's so much violence. Mm-hmm. What better. do you think of the term mercenary? What do I think of it? Yeah, do you, have you been described as that? No, and do you? No, no, no. I, I, I've, I've personally never used it, and I've never heard any anyone use it against me, um, um as, as reference to me. Uh, yeah, I think that's a. Is it derogatory? A word more out of out of Hollywood, I think. Is it derogatory? I don't know. Like some people might subscribe to it. I don't. Um, that's not what we were there to do. Right. Uh, um, we were there to to provide a professional security service um, yeah. for for an organisation which was there to safeguard dignitaries and people because they needed a level of security. And mm. that's right, simply the the role that we did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you from know. Afghanistan,
0: did you did you then set up your company and get into that side of things? Or?
2: Um. Not not quite, but not but kind of, sort of. Yeah. Uh, from there, there was an opportunity to, um, uh, a, a mate reached out and he said, hey, uh, i got a gig um, that needs some close protection stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, cut to the chase. It's, you know, VIP close protection. Um, for a band in, in, uh, who's touring through South America. And uh, I said, hey, cool. Uh, when is it? And I think it was summer of 2011 and that was Metallica on their South South (laughs) America tour and um, uh, I I actually did have to jump on bloody uh, and and get a few more tracks yeah a little bit I did did. (laughs) had you not heard of Metallica? I'd heard heard, but I just wasn't there
0: right Right. what kind of music were you into growing up?
2: um well, I just went to Graceland a couple of months ago. So I oh, was yeah. a, a, a big fan of Elvis, but you know, the yeah. Stones and the the Beatles yeah, yeah. and the Beatles but, you know, over time it, like if you jumped on my uh, uh, playlist now, there would be everything from Rage Against the Machine through to you know, some blues. Yeah. Right. So, cool. Um, and
3: is that a result of you having worked with bands as security or do you I
2: think-, think so. I think it's opened up my 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 uh Mind a little bit to, to different music sort of genres. Right. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, if you don't, if I hadn't have had this exposure, would I have slip not on my <laughs> <laughs> on my playlist? Probably not. Yeah, but I love like, those guys. you know. Did they, music music people.
0: play a role over the years for all of the various things we talked about? Did you you know Did you unwind and listen to music uh, that yeah, way? Or, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, Like mu- music's hugely powerful. Like not to the extent that it is to you guys. Yeah. I have um, uh, you know those quiet times where I'll just want to listen to some some blues or yeah. some. Whatever and, and and then some, um, you know, some Elvis. I can just yeah. play some of that stuff over and over again, Therapeutic. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And then you know, um, for whatever reason, either in the workspace or in the private space, you just uh, in that space. and I'll put a bit of Rage on yep. or a bit of Slipknot or, you know, Metallica. So yeah, you know, um, with, with Slipknot, did, did you ever see them without their masks on? Can you tell us who they are? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> because it's a big secret, right? <laughs> you haven't heard? It? It's actually um, New Kids on the Block.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the internet's got all of the pictures of them without their masks <laughs> oh, on. Oh, okay. you can find Corey <laughs> Taylor wherever you like.
3: Yeah. Ah, okay. Um, There's name out, Okay, I'll have a look for that.
2: Um, <laughs> but, you know, so whilst I was in Afghanistan, says, hey, can you come and um, help with a close protection detail of Metallica in South America? They've got right. different risk profiles now. They want to step up a level. Uh, and so I was fortunate enough to do that. And then... Um, uh, help run the team, put a, a close protection team around the band as they're coming through. Close protection means that you're right with the band, yes. yep. yep. and you're yep. you're We're, getting we, them through the whole thing, the whole thing, yeah, the whole thing, and and well, not and and. Um, you know some some venue protocols, some exit strategies. Sure. You know, so what if something goes wrong? What are you know what what are the plans that we're going to do around that? What yeah. if so Lars some some, some some critical incident management stuff? Yeah. What if Lars
3: crashes his Lamborghini? <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, well. Because
3: then, then they we we interviewed someone in Singapore. We couldn't we couldn't ours. release that. Bit couldn't really. release it. But. <laughs> Oh, we we talked to someone we know, yeah, and yeah. Um, apparently they want to. They have a Lamborghini each uh, at every. At venue wasn't it, at wasn't it
0: just a different sports car each, and they're all different cars or something? Right, something someone, like that. One had a Lamborghini, one had a Ferrari, and so you're assigned a band member, <laughs> and you've got to make
3: sure they don't. Pretty much get um, injured or injure other people. Yeah, well, are you babysitting there or were, there, there were
2: there, there were no Lamborghinis, but there, <laughs> there, there were Chevy Suburbans. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know. Uh, it's, it, it's not a hard concept or a hard strategy. We we had a small team of, of about five. We had some uh, someone doing the intelligence for us and, and, and getting involved with embassies and mm. route planning and knowing where medical facilities are and all like that and hotel reckeys and, and, and checking out all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, yep, assigned to... Uh, a band member, and, and and just making sure that they get to and from the venue safely, and you know if there's any incidents, deal with that. So, I mean, Metallica had had good security protocols and teams already in place, right? Um, so this was just another layer. Yeah. So I worked closely with um with with Kirk Hammett and Tom Robb, his his security guy, uh, and they're all just great guys, yeah, right? Uh, but but I do remember it sort of as a as a moment, like a a a, a light bulb moment of um. Been in the Four Seasons Four Seasons Hotel in Argentina, uh, just kicking back because it was some downtime and we were just kicking back by the pool. And um, James comes over and, and and sits down with us and starts chatting about because he, he has a bit of an affinity and connection with New Zealand. And I'm so, sort of just digesting this here Four Seasons Hotel Argentina, big rock band, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, 72 hours ago in Kabul, Afghanistan in a dirty dust bowl <laughs> in a house little room you know yeah, like oh, true. there's a big there's a big difference between those two and cool. I kind of know which one yeah. sits, sits a little bit better with me yeah um, <laughs> uh, but you know that, that, that was a, a a great opportunity and met people in that in that industry and um, what's the James thing with New Zealand what's that all about um, he's just interested or has he got some connection here yeah no I think he's you know they've had uh, they've had They've always enjoyed their time here. Loves right. the outdoors here, yeah. um, and I think they've had previous sort of road crew and that mm. connected to New Zealand. Um, yeah, and they just love the place, right? Cool. Sure. Yeah. And uh, um, and then after that, uh, there was you know about a year later, um, one of the guys sort of reached out and said, "Hey." Uh, Heard you did a good job with um, Metallica. Can you come and work with another band called Slipknot? Yep. When they were going through, um, what's the big Australian music festival? Soundwave. 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 Oh, yeah. Soundwave. And um, again, so went over there. uh, Jumped on Wikipedia. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Slipknot. And, um, you know, and and worked with the band over there, primarily first uh, with Joey Jordanson, their their drummer, Mm -hmm. but also wider with the band and you know they're a great bunch of guys as well and they seem to have liked the, the, way, um, the way we rolled in, in, in that gig and the way we approached it and again the, you know there's nothing special about it I think me but it's just that Kiwiana way of doing things like yeah. we're relaxed we're not try hard or yeah. you know kiss ass or any of that kind of stuff we're just real just, yeah. and we keep it real and yeah. we, we, we do the job and they go oh shit this is what sort of Good looks like in terms of right. professional security stuff, but I mean, from but from your perspective, what's it? I mean, do these
0: guys seem like circus characters? I don't just mean Slipknot; I mean right. just musicians in general. I mean, you've you've got this
2: background in completely different yeah, worlds. Yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. And you come
0: into the entertainment business with
2: divas, <laughs> it, and well, it, it's it's uh, I wouldn't call any of them divas, but um, <laughs> not to their face. It it is a different world, right? You yeah. you come from a very sort of professional. Um, uh, training and sort of methodical, you know, way versus the creative world of, of entertaining. Yeah. And this is very sort of paramilitary, right? Right. And this is very creative. Chaos. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and the chaos. two don't go well. And no. that's, and I remember um, some some good advice given to me by guys um, you know, Tom and, and and Chubbs who are in that music industry of, you know, you you need to find that balance of being that sort of paramilitary way mm. and making it fit the rock and roll world. Right. Because the rock and roll world will just spit you out if you're all, you know, Marine, rah, 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 you <laughs> yeah, know, that yeah. that <laughs> guy. And and look, the, the music industry's had those guys come in, yeah. you know, and they just don't last. So you've mm-hmm. got right. to find that balance. And I think, you know, one, probably as Kiwis, we we do that well. We can switch it on, like I said before, when we need to, but up until that point, we are relaxed. We are aware of what our job is. Yeah. We're still doing our job, but we're, hey, we, you know, we're we're a little bit relaxed with it as well. We're not um you know, on edge all of the time, catastrophizing about every little thing that's going on.
0: And you're talking yeah. about trying to implement a, a, a strict schedule on musicians who just want to do whatever, whatever they want. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. There's that part. Like, like so, I, I
0: think when the Beatles went to Japan, they were given a roster or a schedule that was down to the like, like 30 seconds, and you know, at that 10:32, right. they'd be at the bottom of the elevator and stuff. Right. And they just used to f- just fuck not open up. the door and just yeah. a, just yeah. A yeah. A mess with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 fuck that shit. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So there's that. Yeah. Now <laughs> 100.
2: There's, there's that. Yeah. And I think you know when we went um so we did some tours with with uh Slipknot and, and like I say a, a, a great bunch of guys and then had the opportunity to go back on tour with them on the European tour I think in 2015 or something um after the Batacalan Theatre right. incident in Paris yes mm-hmm. and I think well I hope that that has been a bit of a, a step change for the thinking in that music industry mm. Because I said for some time that that risk always exists and it's going to happen again. Yep. So Ariana Grande... Well, it just happened in Las Vegas yeah, in just, a way. It just, yeah, it, yeah. It, it did happen in Las Vegas. Yeah. And I was speaking about that last night and I said, uh, surely that, that didn't surprise you, did it, mate? You know, I was t- talking to a ex, um, mate from the from the STG and he said, no, not really. I said, it didn't surprise me either, right? Like, mm. it, And in, in some ways, the fact that it wasn't an ISIS thing, it was just a... A person, yeah. mad, bad, or sad, or a combination of all of that, yeah. with access to a whole bunch of bloody firearms, mm. uh, intent on doing some some bad shit. Mm. So that is going to happen again because mm. that person exists. But again. what can be mm. done
0: in, in, in the cases of the of of those two venues, for example? Yep. I mean, the, the recent shooting in Las Vegas, from a building mm-hmm. across the street to mm-hmm. a bunch of people on an outdoor festival. I mean, what can you possibly do to
2: avoid that? It's a good question. It's a great question. Yeah. Um, but if you go back to, to you know that Bataclan theatre and 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 what we did on that tour with Slipknot was okay. Let's understand what happened there. Mm. Um, okay, cool. So, as your protection detail, we have an obligation to you, the band, yeah, to get you the fuck out of there as quickly as we can. Yeah, mm. and so you start building in some rigid plans around that, and you take that venue to venue to venue. Mm. And you know, we did we, we put that in in such a way that wasn't scaremongering for them. Sure. You know, I spent time speaking with each band member, and then you know, I'd build up a rapport over the years, so I I, I understood. You know, I could have conversations with the guys, yeah, and I'd pick my moment and say, "Hey, I just want to talk to you about this," and I think they were really appreciate appreciative of that. So we put in, um, you know, uh, exit plans, and we even renamed them to sound not so sort of paramilitary. You know, we called right. it the food plan or something like that. Fuck off, out of dodge plan, <laughs> um, and you know, but that was underpinned by a, a gone in sixty seconds mentality. Yeah, and right. so they knew that if something happened and I did something. Signal or something, yeah, yeah, which was a you know, an on stage to everything, would and we walked and talked through that, right? So, right. And, and and every now and then I just reiterate that, you know, in a quiet moment to say, Hey, um, if I, you know, just reminding you, if you see me do this, then mm. your job is to just down tools and, and, and follow me, and then you know, I will have the plan, and right. and there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes with getting vehicles in place and this, and you know, it, it's not overly complicated, but it takes time and you've you've essentially in those scenarios for the band and the band management you've got two options right you either get the hell out of there yeah or you lock down yeah and at some point Mm. you've got to make the decision and if you lock down at some point again you might have to adjust your plan and then find the way to get out so it's about having contingency plans on top of your plans if that makes sense but
0: with the batter clan um uh how big is that venue how many people does it hold
2: roughly um, I'm, I'm not uh, not fully sure. I've never been to the venue, but I've yeah. spoken to artists that have, like Corey Taylor has has, has played there. Because I thought it was a, a smaller venue. Yeah, it's a smaller venue, yeah. and, and the doors open, and basically it comes straight in. Yeah. So in that one, you had a guy uh, come in um, and, you know, or... Guys, cracking off rounds, yeah, uh, and and throwing grenades and and killing people. Did
0: they just override security, or did well? Mate, they, 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 there's
2: there's no security override, like. Right. <laughs> You might have a guy on the door checking tickets, yeah. but you come in with your AK-47 as part of the ISIS movement. You know, there's, there's no resistance. To but the, that the really. reason
0: why I brought brought up the, the size of the venue is because, of course, there are venues all over the world that are smaller, yep. c- catering to the low lower budget yep. tours, yep. tours that possibly can't afford
2: security. Yeah. Well, Dimeberg was shot in a venue from Pantera, yeah, um, Ooh, killed, oh, on, killed on stage. Yeah. You know, in a small That's venue true. that only think has, 400 or
0: something Right Yeah, yeah. So think, about, think about the power station How many people can get A couple thousand people Or something Oh in power station 900 people max Oh probably. is that all yeah. Including upstairs Really Yep yeah. Oh right Okay yeah.
2: So yeah. I think the the, the the onus is on bands and band management and, and yes take your point That not all of them Have paid security or, mm. or different levels Of engaged security professionals But some basic principles Of if X happens Or something happens What is our plan To get off this stage Right mm. And if we get off this stage Where are we going Yep yeah. And if we're leaving this venue, how are we doing that? You know, you can answer some very basic questions and have a plan in place, which, you know, um, plans are great. Uh, um, uh, in fact, let me rephrase that. You know, plans can be useless, but the planning and the thinking that goes into them is is is, is right. what wins you the moment. You know, mm. you've got to have the planning because as soon as something happens, your plan might be out the window. Yeah. Right? right. But the planning and the forethought and the thinking and the what if scenario, what if this happens, so what? You know, all of that will come into play. Right. And if you've got the right people, someone should be thinking about that in any band regardless of their size, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, You don't want, ever want to get caught in a moment where you go, you know, holy shit, what do we do now? And yeah. have someone go, well, fuck if I know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. Right, seriously. Like yeah. someone should be, onto
3: that yeah because even with New Zealand's health and safety plan um, um, sort of regulations and they've got more and more strict as a band person as a you know you own the company or whatever you're liable for those people in that room in mm. your crew if something happens in there if you haven't got a health and safety plan yeah. mm. and I don't know of any bands that have them we don't have one right, uh, for, for the automatic 80s in terms of what happens I've if got there's a fire writing. I've got yeah, it in writing with of the production do so we? Don't we don't have a health and safety uh, briefing yeah. to go there's the exit if there's a fire or if mm. that's blocked this is the other exit um, it's a very casual culture in, in many ways in yeah. our country and the other yeah. thing that I wanted to ask about was have you ever experienced patch protection from in-house security you go to a venue they've got their own security team and they're like well well, no we know the plan here we know the exits let us take care of it and you guys are go well respectfully no we've got mm-hmm. here's our plan our strategic plan
2: yeah uh, it's, it's, it's a great question so there's Having sort of, you know, gone through most of Europe and and, and South America and viewing um, private security arrangements, there's a whole different levels, right? Like if you've got outstanding, uh, probably the very best that I've seen was an island. So let's give them a 10 and perhaps probably the worst I've seen is is Italy or Russia, and if there are one then everyone else sits somewhere in between it
3: mm, yeah.
2: um, but what i what I always have found interesting in that music industry and I try to socialize with this with, with with bands and 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 particularly crews is who are who are the private security people at turn up they're generally poorly paid it's their second or third job they're mostly there for the gig if they can be yeah, um, yeah. and what generally happens is Guys have got their tour lanyards on, and they're in another city today, and they're in another city tomorrow, which means a different security. And they don't give a shit. Right, like they're just bound around, and so the security guy doesn't give a shit. Like, hey, here's my pass. Get out of my way. You know, mm. like, right. So what you've got to do is try and flip that, and have the the band and the management and the road crew fully buy into the security people. There, you're only there for 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 one day or one night or one show you've got to get them on your side to help you yeah. so yeah. we you know we 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 got there with a with a with a band by saying hey you know band members um really embrace the local security because they're not going to buy in and guard your stairs to your stage right. if you and the crew have a don't give a fuck get out of my way attitude yeah. Yeah. Right. so stop and show them your ID and yes. even better still if you've got a security guard there who doesn't ask for it stop and ask him to say hey mate why didn't you ask me for my ID
0: right right. you know
2: like you're here to protect me and I need your help and Mm. you know you've got to get there by 100% you've got to get there by so I would make a point of at each venue introducing myself and if it was foreign languages I'll make sure there's some you know uh, interpreting for me I would always want their. tell me who your best guard is preferably if he could speak English because sadly I can't speak Italian or French so I want your best guy on the stairs with me and I would go out of my way to get his buy in and make right. him part of the show and thank him afterwards and yeah. you know. Yeah. And then and then you get the crew doing all of that and suddenly, you know, you can in a very short space of time get everyone collectively and together to go, Hey, we're here for the protection of the band. Um so you then stop that mentality of having that security guy who's just like this at the show, and you know he's, yeah. he's yeah. just drawing oxygen, just funny, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and and drawing a paycheck because yeah. he's not doing zero, right? Yeah. Do you get that all of the time? No. You, I mean, at the end of the day, you get what you get at a venue, and you have to try and make that work. But that's the ideal. That's a that's the the desired end state is to mm. get them get them to buy into it. Yeah. Have
3: you ever had to put an action plan into place or for a band? Uh, yeah, into yeah. play. Uh, uh, really?
2: uh, 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 um. A couple. Uh, actually, the first one was probably with Metallica in, in Mexico, where the, the sound amps, you know, blew or, or didn't go, and the you know the crowd. So, was... Yeah, yeah, the crowd starts to rev up, and wow. they're not sure whether the band's going to um, come on. And I mean, we didn't have to execute on the plan, but the plan was in place, so we just flicked a light switch, and the vehicles were all stacked up. Everyone was calm and relaxed, mm. um, and we we pulled them back to. Um, the um, back line and, and we're all set to set to go, but then they managed to do the repairs and get the band on stage right afterwards. the feedback what, you know again was, hey that was the most relaxed we 've been in a moment of potential chaos, yeah simply yeah. because your planning was in place right right so again it, it, and to me, I actually liked that that had occurred because it just tested a few things yeah, yeah right and a similar thing I think happened in um, in Russia where the front barricade was about to go. Right, oh, okay. and because of the the, the crowd, the crowd yeah, and again, um, we had to pull the uh, guys into the back line. Um, I think we held there, and we or we moved to the to that we had. You know, it's a two-stage process. You, you can pull into the back line, then you move to a holding area, then you evacuate. So back kind
3: of line stuff. is a term that you use. Because a music backline means something else. The, the, drum, and, the, the drum kit. Means by the drum kit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but but you've, that's a security term you use, right? Where it's... Behind the An evacuation design. point. Yeah yeah, point. Yeah, 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 yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Right,
3: yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and so you have these points. Yes, it's,
2: yeah, so... It, each each venue is all pre determined where our holding areas are, where where you know, where the um evacuation point is and all that kind of stuff. Right. Okay. And, you know, again that one uh was was good because the plan was in place. The band are relaxed. Yeah, know, they know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh or or perhaps even so much not, knowing all of the detail, but hey, you know. Well, the, she's got it sorted. They know they're paying for. Yeah, they know they're in good hands. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: What What was it like working with Justin Bieber?
2: And are you a believer? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, played a very small role uh, right. uh, and, and, and helping out with some security work while he was here. Um, and no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it, appears, it appears that he's like such a spoiled brat, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and that must be, that must be like a mind fuck after the sorts of people that you've worked with to, uh, to be in the company of this little twat.
2: Yeah, well, again, <laughs> he's a professional. He can't say that. No, no, he's, he's, I know. I'm
0: know. i trying to get him to say it. though. He, he's got his own security
2: detail around him. Like I was right. very much on the outer edges of of helping out uh, here in New Zealand but um, and only for the one gig so uh, but you know no, I don't know enough about the guy. <laughs> sure, and, at least in terms of um, the guys on and, and Slipknot, they're more my age and uh, right. a little bit. You know, they've d- they've done those days. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> they're just out to tour and, and entertain. So, do you have a certain set of skills acquired over a very long career?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a movie line. <laughs> it exactly is. Yeah. Yeah. So, do yeah. you have, like? Uh, did you have to have martial arts training, like close combat training, or or is that something that you've even thought of doing? In your uh, life? I always wanted to be a, um, do, do Wing Chun um, Kung Fu, but never got around to it. One day Wing Chun,
2: that's uh, isn't
3: Bruce Lee's... Um, yeah, um, yeah, 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 exactly. Jeet Kune Do. Uh,
2: yeah. Oh, look, I, I, I um, picked up martial arts when I was a you know, skinny little 13-year-old um, and, and did that for a few years and, and, and really got into that. And, and then within the SCG, there's elements of, of unarmed combat stuff. Um, but, you know, I haven't passionately fo- followed it at, at, at through. Um in, in terms of today. Mm-hmm. Uh but I admire people that do. But mm-hmm. um no, those skills are, are, are still there and, and times you, you you draw on some of that training. Um which which then leads to, to some of the stuff I do today with um situational awareness courses and self defense courses and mm. sort of teaching people that um you know it's the mental attitude that will help win you a moment more than the technical skill. Right. So yep. you know you um if you have the in, in the right moment at the right time and place, it's appropriate to pick up a pen and stab it in someone's eye. Mm-hmm. Um, then it's the mental attitude to do that, for, right. you know. And and that's stuff we teach to, to young women and teenage girls, and that through some of our courses. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the the bigger key is the situational awareness stuff, right? Like yeah. Better better to walk yourself out of the scenario than um, find yourself in the moment. Yeah.
3: Right. Yeah. Right. And so, do, where can people find out more about those types of courses that you're running and you're doing them presumably still now
2: yeah 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 that's yeah, it's kind of partly what we do so um you know you can you know, find us at at q risk or at q training this mm-hmm. is the letter q and the word risk or training will find us on the on the website and um dot co.nz yeah yeah, yeah 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 and do you still
3: do um vip protection and, and band? you'd go away and do a yes, band yeah you're...
2: yeah 100 percent. um in fact i just missed out on a recent opportunity, I just didn't quite gel out with, with, with timings and that. So yeah, that's, it's still sort of what we do. We put ourselves out there as sort of a bespoke tailored, um, you know, risk consultancy company and, um, uh, whether that's at a corporate level or an individual level or back on the rock and roll world, yeah, um, yeah. you know. And how right. do you, how do you, how do you deal with the transition to come back
0: home and be a father and a husband and, you know, <laughs> do you have to, is, is that a challenge
2: as to- I just check on the phone to see where I'm meant to be, <laughs> uh, I mean, is it a challenge? Yes, I'm grateful for a um, hugely supportive wife, who's, like I say, I mean, she was pregnant with Sammy when yeah. when I packed my bag and went off to East Timor, right? Right. And that was, and Sammy was about to turn 18 and go to university. So well, I know for a lot of musicians, it's hard to come home sometimes, not yeah. because they
0: don't want to be home, but because you know it's a completely different world. Yeah. Or or, or, yeah. or it's hard to be away. Yeah. True. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I
2: mean, there's there's Lots of nights in hotels, and some of the work back here in New Zealand, you know, takes me a lot away for consultancy and training yeah. and that kind of stuff. So, but even back into the days of, of of back on the STG, you know, that took me away up and down the country, and mm. you know, even overseas outside of of East Timor to the Solomon Islands, and you know, Sydney for their Olympics and things like that. So, yeah, um I think it's just that's that's our family makeup. You know, that's, right? That's the way it rolls, and and. Um, do you take a few days like if you get back from a longer job do you have to take a few days to sort of get yourself back into home life ah oh, no, not really i think okay. it it's exciting to get back home and be yep. with the kids and 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 um and with Kushler and you know uh she very much runs a household we've done renovations and nice Builders turn up and they want to speak. You no, know, go speak with Kushla because I've got no idea what's you know, uh, be, Come around home. She's, half, mou- she's, r- she's mowing the lawns, and, you're halfway and,
3: around the world getting sent color swatches.
2: What do you think yeah, about yeah, no, this no, for the uh, no, 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 Kushla does all of that. Yeah, that's just great. Right. So, you know, that's that's our family unit. So, yeah. being away and traveling and has uh, always been part of it. Has so. there ever been a moment where you've
3: gone, I'm getting too old for this shit? Where it was like, <laughs> I've got this is it, this is my last tour of duty. I'm not going to do another tour with a band. <laughs> yeah, I just like I just, just fucking ten minutes ago I had a gun in my face. <laughs> no, While well, no, my wife's at home no. painting the kitchen. I'm over this. Uh, Have
2: you ever had one of those moments? Uh, 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 no. Well, what's the answer to that? Have I? When? When am I? Am, am I too old for this shit? Well, that was yes. Yesterday when I was doing a circuit at home trying to bloody. Running around, the, running around the section. <laughs> yeah. oh, God, the body feels terrible. Um, uh, you know, the, the the touring stuff, I love it. Uh, and I love getting there and, and catching up and, and, and doing the job and being involved with it. After six weeks, seven weeks, I kind of go, that's it. You yeah, know, that, right. that feels kind of right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's been opportunities to do longer tours and and for a number of reasons they haven't worked out and one of those reasons is look I just you know three months four months is, is, is too much can't happen yeah, um, yeah. so you know I, I think we've struck a pretty good balance over the years and, yeah you know, well thank you yeah. so much for making the time yeah no worries guys. Yeah. and hey, can you
3: break his arm on the way out <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see if you've still got the skills <laughs> <laughs> no. hey thanks for your time man that's been no really worries, really great excellent
0: What about that? Paul Walsh. Thanks, Paul, for being on the show. We're sitting here looking at this guy, talking to him, thinking he could kill us at any minute. Thanks again to Stonefield Bases for sponsoring the episode. It wouldn't be possible without you. Check out their website, which is www.stonefieldmusic.com. Remember, if you want to know more about the upcoming shows with the Automatic 80s, visit www.automatic80s.co.nz and thanks as always to our listeners we say it every time because we mean it we really appreciate you tuning in we really appreciate the comments and the feedback and and sharing it and all the rest of it please keep it up and look after yourselves catch you on the next one if you find what we're doing useful and you
3: like this podcast please do like share and subscribe and give us a review on itunes